When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here are the biggest questions after the Rings of Power finale. Welcome back, you Hobbit heads, to our postseason breakdown of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. After eight episodes, countless theories, and even more red herrings, The Rings of Power Season 1 has come to an end. And while we got answers to many of our questions during the season finale, we now find ourselves with even more as we look to the stars wondering when Season 2 will debut. We're going to break down all of our burning questions for you in just a moment, but if you prefer to read all about it, Michael Walsh has you covered over on Nerdist.com. However, to talk about these in detail, we get to spoil what happens in The Rings of Power Season 1. So if you haven't seen it yet, then leave now, and we'll just keep our secrets to ourselves. All right, then. Keep your secrets. <laughs> okay, let's get into it, shall we? Let's talk about the biggest gray area on the show. The Stranger. Over the course of season one, this star man stopped waiting in the sky. He came to meet the Harfoots and definitely blew their minds. The white-robed cultist incorrectly assumed this magical Maya was Sauron, realizing their mistake as they were turned into a loose pile of moths. But before that, the cultists call him an Istar, which the stranger explains loosely translates to wizard. With his grayish ensemble, propensity for getting ragdolled by rival magic users, his passion for lepidoptery, and his distinct choice of words, Always follow your nose. The show heavily hints that this is Gandalf the Grey. Me. But is this too another misdirect? Oh! Nerdist's Amy Ratcliffe has a theory that this stranger could be a secret Saruman instead. Based on Tolkien's writings and unfinished tales, Saruman, aka Karuma, was said to be the first of the Astari to arrive on Middle-earth. He also basically became the leader of the Astari because he had most studied the devices of Sauron of old. He had the most experience with Sauron and dark magic. And we know that Saruman did eventually travel to ruin the land far to the east in Middle-earth, and that's exactly where the Stranger and Nori are headed. And that brings us to our next question. What awaits the Stranger and Nori in Rune? Whether the Stranger is Gandalf, Saruman, or two blue wizards in a trench coat, that's less important than the question of what actually awaits our wily wizard and this hopeful Harfoot in Rune. Those Sauron cultists trying to get the Stranger to go there to fully tap into his dark powers. Are there other powerful spellcasters there? Rune is the only place where the Hermit's Hat, the constellation the Stranger's been seeking, is visible from. It's also home to a bunch of Morgoth and Sauron worshipping tribes of men, so it's probably not going to be pleasant to say the least. And speaking of Sauron, let's talk about the hot elephant in the room, Halbrand. As we and many others predicted, Halbrand was secretly Sauron all along. I know, gasp you should. He was stringing along Galadriel to maneuver himself among the Numenorians and the elven smiths of Eregion. In addition to launching endlessly horny fanfics, the scene between Sauron and Galadriel saw the Dark Lord reiterate that he merely wanted to heal Middle-earth after the darkness and destruction that Morgoth wrought. 
So, was Sauron sincere when he told Galadriel that he wants to atone for his sins, that he wanted her to bind him to the light of the one? We certainly know that he'll wind up binding others in the darkness, but is he past his point of no return? I mean, technically, it was Adar who had Waldrake initiate the Mordor Protocol, but Sauron did pave the way. Anyway, if the comparisons to Tony Soprano and Walter White are anything to go by, he'll certainly be likable, but still pretty reprehensible at the end of the day. And while Sauron won't be cooking up any meth that we know of, he will be smelting hearts with his silver tongue as he convinces the realms of men and dwarves to forge their own rings of power. While Halbrand conned that Kelahimbo into making the titular rings of power for the elves, we're still missing seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for the mortal men doomed to die, and one for the dark lord on his dark throne. Having seen firsthand how easily swayed the men of the Southlands are, I can totally see how those dinguses will get conned, but what about the Dwarf Lords? Will we see Halbrand arrive at Casa Doom with a foolproof new method for safely mining Mithril? Season 1 did a great job in establishing just how set in their ways the current Dwarf Lords are, so it's going to be interesting to see how exactly Sauron will bend them to his will. And speaking of bending people to one's will, how will Farazhan usurp power in Numenor? As book readers know, it's going to involve a move that might be a bit more at home on another high fantasy series. This populist politician's been amassing power in Numenor while waiting for the old king to shuffle off this mortal coil. And now, with Muriel quite literally blind to his Machiavellian machinations and fresh off what was a definitely humiliating defeat for the Numenorians, this isolationist interloper will likely double down on his anti-elf rhetoric as the island marches one step closer to fulfilling the Palantir's vision. The bigger question is, will Sauron return to Numenor as a prisoner at any point? We did technically see him advise Farazhan once already from a prison cell, but as of now, it seems like we're going to see a very different version of events leading up to Numenor's Dúminor. And speaking of that impending Dúminor, what was it that Aarian saw in Numenor's Palantir? So far, both Muriel and Galadriel witnessed the exact same thing, an apocalyptic vision of Numenor in ruins being destroyed by massive tidal waves. Elendil's daughter was present in the final moment of the late Numenorean king's life, and she also seemingly gazes into the Palantir as well. Does that mean that she now knows the truth of what's to come? I mean, she was pretty hell-bent on stopping the expedition to Middle-earth before, but this experience hasn't changed her mind. She'll need to play it close to the vest, though, because as Galadriel and Elrond now know, discretion is the better part of Valar. While Aarian's alive and well, Isildur's status is something of a question mark, if you've never read the books or seen the movies. So, not really a question mark at all. We know that Isildur does survive his Southland tales, and goes on to play a pivotal part in giving Sauron the world's worst manicure. But the bigger question is, how will his heroic horse save him, and how will Isildur make his way back to Numenor? Well, chances are it's going to involve who or whatever entity was calling out to Isildur from the sea. Now, it's possible this could be the ghostly voice of his mother who drowned at sea, but Middle-earth's full of inexplicable and unexpected supernatural forces. So maybe it's one of the gods of Valinor, another Valar reaching out to this wayward son? Only time will tell, but it's still a mystery in dire need of explanation. Now, another massive question mark revolves around what the future holds for the survivors in the Southlands. They've been basically evicted from their homes, and the Southlands have now been terraformed into the world's largest orc BNB. It appears as though they're heading west in the finale, so could they wind up becoming the people of Gondor and Arnor? Will they give in to their eviler impulses like Waldrake and the others who turn to darkness? Will Theo become a badass warrior after being so deeply impressed by Galadriel? Will he get a 
damn haircut? We'll just have to wait and see. And last but not least, folks, we gotta talk about the daddiest issue of them all, Adar. This evil elf who styles himself as the father of the Uruk claimed to have killed Sauron previously, which seems like a bit of an exaggeration. He also managed to escape captivity before all hell broke loose when the Southlands digivolved into Mordor. So what kind of chaos will Adar unfurl now that his old enemy has revealed himself? It's definitely going to be a major point of conflict in Season 2 now that the masks have come off. The real question is, will the Uruk be loyal to Daddy Adar or Zaddy Sauron? Anyway, folks, there you have it. Those are our biggest questions about the Rings of Power after the Season 1 finale. We will have plenty of other deep dives and lore explainers for you in the weeks ahead, and we already have a treasure trove of info waiting for you over on Nerdist. For now, though, tell us what did you think of Rings of Power Season 1? What are your biggest questions after the finale? Peace, Hans. Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.